Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm Lena Ebujemra, your host, and it is awesome to be back with you. It is fall, a new season. I love new beginnings, and it does feel like right after Labor Day, we are on to a new start. Man, we got a busy, busy fall here at Living with Power, and there's been both good things and challenging things, but in all things, we want to give glory to God. Hey, if you're new to our podcast, thank you for checking in. We hope this will help build your walk with Jesus, get to know Jesus if you don't know him. And if you have been here before and have been waiting for a new series, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Today, we're going to launch a new 10-week series called Hebrews the Confidence Series. Hebrews is the book of Hebrews. I suppose it's just called the Confidence Series. It's a study in the book of Hebrews. The subtitle, you're gonna love this, How to Fully Trust God When I Don't See the Way. And isn't that where so many of us live? Right now, I am living in that place, even though there's a lot going on. There are some areas in our life, in our ministry's life, where we're looking and going, man, I just don't see the way. Is God gonna come through? And is he going to do what he promised he will do or what we hope he will do? And so while we don't put our hope in circumstances, we do hope in a God who answers prayers. And so I pray that this series is going to bless you. Hey, before we hit it, I'm going to just remind you of a couple of things. If you want to find out about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. Everything you need to know about Living With Power is there. We do work globally with refugees and we do work locally with discipleship and building people like you and me to be stronger in our walk with Jesus and more connected with him. Hey, there's an awesome, awesome thing you need to know. My new book is coming out in four weeks. It is so cool to see that uh, in the horizon, but it's also nerve-wracking. Will anyone be interested in it? What I have to say, will anybody buy it? Will anybody be blessed by it? Will anybody like me? And there's just a lot of things that go through an author's mind, but really at the end of the day, we write because we believe that our experiences and my experiences will help you. And so if you've ever struggled with uh, doing things you don't want to do, with shame over things that you wish you hadn't done. I think this book is going to be for you. It's called Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, uh, A Christian Doctor's Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. Hey, doesn't this book is not about sex. It is about human nature. It's about following desires and wanting something badly. And when you don't get it, how do you respond to it? And why so many of us live lives of addiction. And so, hey, if you know someone who's struggling with these things, or maybe you are that person who, like me, has had a hard time with certain uh, areas in our lives. And so this book may be for you. We'd love for you to find out more about it. We created a website for it. It's at drlinabook.com or just hit up livingwithpower.org, which is our our website and you'll find links to it. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, do so. And for now, let's get right to business. Hebrews lesson one in Hebrews chapter one, I am confident because God speaks. Awesome, guys. So open your Bibles, Hebrews chapter one. Today is sort of an introduction. I'm telling you sort of how I'm going to look at the study. And I, you know, every teacher brings their own flavor to the study. But if you've done any kind of Hebrew study, sort of the big theme that always comes up in the study of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So before we sort of land on that, let me kind of check into some of my notes. We'll take a few minutes before we get into the outline. Just want to give you sort of a big picture of Hebrews. Hebrews is really based on principles of the Leviticus priesthood. A lot of people are afraid of the book of Leviticus. They read the Bible and they get to Leviticus, they don't want to touch it. Well, in Hebrews, we're going to have a chance to understand some of the things that are talked about in Leviticus because it sort of makes reference to it. And the context of that is sort of declaring that Jesus is better than those Old Testament uh, you know, uh, sacrifices that were there. We're going to study this. We're going to see how Jesus is better than the prophets, how Jesus is better than angels, how Jesus is better 
than, uh, than Moses and all of those things that the Jewish uh, people valued in that time. And so you, you, you might be wondering, well, who, who wrote this book of Hebrews? Great question. People have debated that for a long time. I grew up, my pastor used to think maybe it was Paul. I actually don't think it's Paul, the apostle. Uh, I, actually, I actually don't know who wrote it, but here's some facts we know about uh, who wrote it. It is written by an unknown author, Nobody knows. There's some theories. Uh, people say maybe Silas, maybe uh, Philip, maybe um, Barnabas or Apollos or Luke, maybe even Priscilla. Um, and there's theories. You can read a little bit more about it. People give you theories. But here's what we do know. It is an author who um, uh, wrote to a suffering, persecuted group of Jewish believers and non-believers in uh, possibly in Greece is the location. And, and the person who wrote it, if you kind of look at uh, Hebrews chapter two, verse three, it really was not a person who had heard firsthand from Jesus, the story of Jesus. He received it secondhand. So we think it's a second generation Christian. Hence why it probably wasn't Paul because Paul had a direct relationship, you know, a direct conversation with Jesus. It was one of the apostles. But in this case, uh, the thought is that this is a second generation Christian writing to second generation Christians. And uh, um, he really in verse chapter two, verse three, relied upon others who were eyewitnesses of what had happened. Although the timing of the book is not that late, you know, it's only, it's actually, thought to be before AD 70. In AD 70, the temple was destroyed and there's no reference in the book of Hebrews to the destruction of the temple. So the estimation is that maybe it was about 67 AD. So a few years after Jesus uh, was alive on this earth and died and ascended is when this book was written. So uh, again, uh, about 65 to 67 AD before the destruction of the temple. The theme in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater than any angel, priest, or Old Testament practice. Therefore, we must hold on to what we know, the truth of who he is with faith. I have taken from that the theme of the study. I've called it the confidence series. And so we can be confident because Jesus is better. That's sort of where we're going. Every week, we're going to look at an aspect of who Christ is and why we can be confident. And so in a minute, we're going to get to today's teaching of Hebrews 1 because he speaks. But really, the bulk of today's chapter is going to be that he's better than the angels. So I'll break it down in a minute, but a few more introductory points. Um, uh, thought to be this, this, it's interesting because people talk about the book, is it an epistle, is it a letter, was it written as a letter? It's thought to be a series of sermons. So the writer who uh, was a second generation Christian writing to a Jewish uh, audience of many, most of whom maybe we don't know, it was a mix of people. In fact, I'll, I want to get to that in a second, but a lot of Jewish believers and non-believers who were living in potentially Greece. And, um, and so it's thought to be a series of sermons, maybe three major sections that correspond to three sermons from chapter one to four, chapters four to 10, and chapters 10 to 13, if you break it up, and each one sort of covers a theme. I don't think that's that important, but just if you want to sort of get a little bit more details on how this is written, um, he ends it with sort of a letter, you know, sort of sense. He does a closing with a lot of, you know, different, you know, the closing like we would see in other epistles and letters, but really thought to be more a compilation of sermons. Um, Oh, I wrote this down. This was good. We're talking about who wrote it, you know, Luke or Apollos or Barnabas or Silas or Philip. I love this. I read this. It's a great reminder for us even now that it was the Holy Spirit who wrote the book of Hebrews. At the end of the day, all scripture is inspired by God through the Holy Spirit, wrote, wrote the books through different people. And I think it's fascinating when you look at the Bible and all the number of authors over the 2000 years that it was written, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what we can be confident in, even though we don't know the exact author, is that the Holy Spirit 
Spirit wrote the book of Hebrews through uh, whoever, man or maybe woman, uh, who wrote this. And so a fascinating thing, I actually like the fact that we don't know for sure who wrote it because it's actually one of my favorite books in the New Testament. And I think it's kind of cool that it's a little bit of a mystery there. Um, and so I like this also. There's a, a man named Walter Martin, who is the founder of the Christian Research Institute. And he summed up the purpose of the Hebrews book as such, which I think really nails it. He said, the book of Hebrews was written by a Hebrew to other Hebrews, telling the Hebrews to stop acting like Hebrews. Now, now here's what was happening. So this is a really cool sentence. You can write it down if you want. The book of Hebrews written by a Hebrew to other Hebrews, telling the Hebrews to stop acting like Hebrews. Irina, try getting that down there in the comment section. But, but, but it's really interesting because that's exactly what was happening. The author really is leaning into the Jewish beliefs and practices because what was happening in that era, and we're now, think of it, 65 AD, right before the destruction of the temple, Nero, uh, the persecution of Christians was really dialing up in the New Testament church after Jesus ascended there was a huge amount of persecution that happened and eventually spread the Christian, the early Christians all over the world eventually. It's how we all know the gospel today. And that was part of God's plan. Uh, I, I just, you can go and read the book of Acts and see how that happened. But so these Jewish people who were living outside of Israel were starting to feel that persecution. They were living in a culture that was not friendly to the fact that they had left the Jewish faith. faith. And because of the persecution, they wanted to hang on to the Jewish traditions. And, and also, I mean, think about it. Like, like now we're second generation Christians. So many of the people who had seen Jesus were passing on. They were telling the stories of Jesus to this next generation. So you've got the second generation who's living in a world that is persecuted for the faith and their tendency was to hold on to Jewish rituals. And that was not to be. Why? Because Jesus is better. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to this group of uh, most, you know, some Jewish believers and some uh, non-believers who are kind of part of this community to, to, to remind them of how much better Jesus is than the prophets, than the Old Testament sacrifices, than the angels, than anything. And how because of that, uh, they were to leave those rituals and establish this new identity in Christ. And how fitting, even as we think about the era we're living in, and, and you know, our persecution is sort of starting. Uh, we get persecuted Christians in, in, in a number of ways in terms of what we believe, probably not like was happening in the time of Nero, but some crazy stories we're starting to hear that are mind boggling for a culture that used to be fairly friendly to Christians. And so what a time for us to study the book of Hebrews and a reminder that we don't maybe struggle with going back to Jewish rituals and practices, but this concept of, of hanging on with confidence to the truth of who Jesus is and what we know to be the true gospel, because it's far better than anything else that we can come across here in this world. And so uh, just going to be a great encouragement, I believe, for us to just stand strong in who we know Jesus to be and what we are, who we are. And so we don't want to slip back into old practices. You know, the Jewish people in that day were slipping back into rituals of Judaism in order to escape persecution. And Hebrews is an exhortation for persecuted believers to continue in the grace of God. It is an exhortation to persecuted believers to continue in the grace of God. And so if you feel yourself shaken in confidence, this is going to be a book where you're going to feel strong in the Lord, not because we can rev you up and motivate you, but because we're going to look and see who it is we believe and why it is that we believe and why Jesus is better. And because of that, we can have confidence in him. Now, there's a few challenging passages that we're going to run across as we get into the book of Hebrews. And, and we're going to tease those out as they come. Not today. Today's easy. 
But uh, it's interesting to kind of think about who the book was written to. Um, I found this to be very helpful. In fact, several commentaries, trustworthy commentaries, uh, argue that, that the book is written to three separate groups of people. And I want to sort of talk about that a bit because I think this is going to come up in some of those challenging chapters like Hebrews 6 talks about, you know, people talk about does it teach you can lose your salvation or whatnot. I think this is going to be relevant to that. So the, the book of Hebrews is written to three separate groups of people. First was people who actually believed they were Hebrews who believed in Jesus. They had given their life to Jesus. They were all in, all right? And to that group was written this encouragement, really that was the exhortation to give them that confidence if they were floundering at all to hang on to what they knew Jesus to be. So that might be you. You might be in, maybe not. you're not, maybe you're a Hebrew believer maybe, or, or a Jewish believer, maybe you're not, but maybe you are, you know, you check box, okay, I am a believer, I'm all in. This is gonna be an encouragement to you, all right? But here's a second group that it was written to. It was uh, written to a group of unbelievers who had knowledge and intellectual acceptance of the facts of Jesus, but they were not all in. Now, you and I know people like that. They, they would agree that Jesus is the son of God. They would agree that Jesus lived on earth and that he maybe even died and rose again, but there's no turnover of their life. They're not all in. And so some of the admonitions that we're gonna see in the book of Hebrews is really written to that group. They were a Jewish people in that time who intellectually agreed, but their heart was not all in. And so it, the book was written in certain areas when we'll get to some verses as a warning and as an intellectual convincing, like an argument, that, they sh that, that, that we must receive Jesus or his knowledge will eventually damn us. People who understand the facts of salvation but have not given their life to the Lord will someday have to stand account for that. And so there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a very much a sort of a warning that will come up again and again for that group of believers. Maybe that's you today. And so there's no shame in that if that's you. Maybe you're like, yeah, I sort of agree that Jesus was born and maybe even the demons believe, right? But there's no like all in, give your life to Jesus. You're gonna feel a little bit of the conviction of the spirit, I believe, as we go through this book because there's gonna be verses that will warn you of what happens if you don't jump all in. And that's not a church or a pastor. I'm not a church. I'm not a pastor. We're not trying to scare you. We just want to teach the Bible as truthfully as it is. And if it happens to convict you, then, then I pray that God will soften your heart to respond. But then there was a third group. So there's a, the Jewish believers who were all in. There were Jewish believers who, who the Jewish believers, I'll say, quote unquote, who, who believed in their head, but hadn't given their life completely to Christ. And then there was a third group. And those were uh, the Jewish people who attended, who were attracted to Jesus, but ultimately had still rejected him. They had not said yes to Jesus. There was no intellectual assent to him. And so, and so for that group, the book is written uh, to convince them and to urge them to put their faith in Christ. And I believe and I hope and I pray that you, if you're watching, if you are at any point landing on this and you just don't believe in Jesus yet, there's no intellectual agreement, there's no, I pray that God will soften your heart as you see Jesus for who he is in the next few weeks as we study this. We're going to see the superiority of Christ, that Christ is preeminent. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 is sort of a peak verse there. And so uh, and I think those are most of the introductory comments that I have. This is a book that's going to be rich in foundational doctrine. Uh, it will end up with Hebrews 11. You guys know that the chapter of the examples of heroes of faith who persevered in their life despite difficulty. You guys, many of you love Hebrews 11. You can't wait to get to that book. And we are going to see this 
overwhelming evidence as to the unconditional surety and absolute reliability of God in our lives. So if you are shaking, if you're uncertain, if you're like, I know God is there, but I don't, I'm not sure always, does he really see me? Does he know me? Is he able to help me? Does he care about me? Listen, all of these questions are going to be answered. I believe God's going to fill us with hope as we approach this book. We can have perfect confidence in God's rich promises, regardless of our circumstances, because Jesus is better. We can have perfect confidence in God's rich promises, regardless of our circumstances. Right now, some of you are watching and you have heavy circumstances in your life. You go, how does the Christian gospel message apply to me? Well, you can have confidence in God because of Jesus. We will come across five warnings. You know, anytime you read about Hebrews, you'll, you'll, you'll get reference to five warnings that we're going to come across. One of them will be at the end of this lesson, but, but you'll see five dangers, the danger of neglect, the danger of unbelief, the danger of spiritual immaturity, the danger of failure to endure, and the danger of refusing God. All right, so that's sort of like the gist of where we're going. Today, we're gonna uh, spend some time in Hebrews 1. I'm probably not gonna read, well, I'm gonna read, so actually I might read all of it, but let's kind of take it in stride here. And uh, uh, I called this teaching uh, from Hebrews 1 uh, through chapter two, verse four. That's sort of the chunk that you guys can read after the teaching. I called it a confident because he speaks. Remember, I've uh, kind of angled the teaching on this theme of the confidence series because Jesus is better. We can be confident and you say well why can why are we confident well today from chapter one because he speaks because God speaks because God speaks we can be confident and so listen to this in Hebrews chapter one verse one it says long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken that's the what present present participle or something. I, I didn't go to school here, so I don't know what grammar's tense this is. But, but in these last days, he has spoken or he is speaking to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance, now speaking about Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He's, he's not just a prophet. Many religions teach that Jesus is a good man, a prophet, even Muslims. I come from Lebanon and work with the Syrian refugees. Most Muslims will say, yeah, we know who Jesus is. His name is Isa in their book. And they'll say, oh yeah, he's a prophet. Well, well, Hebrews 1 tells us that he's not a prophet. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by, listen, by the word of his power. God speaks God speaks. I can be confident, God, because he speaks. Here's the first point in this outline as we spend the next few minutes here in chapter one. He speaks and his word is more than enough. God speaks and his word is more than enough. He's spoken in, in verse one when he talks about how he's spoken in and many times and in many ways, he's referring to the Old Testament, to the prophets. He says, he spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So, so remember, he's writing to this Hebrew audience who has had the Old Testament. They're familiar with it. They might not all have read it, but they're familiar with its teachings and the history of it. And they understand that God used to speak through the prophets, but then Jesus came and the entire Old Testament, God spoke in a variety of different ways and a variety of different sometimes through dreams, sometimes through, uh, through the Spirit putting a word on people's heart. There's a whole lot of ways that, that God spoke in the Old Testament, visions and appearances even. And, and all of these things in the Old Testament were leading. They were not, the, the, the Old Testament is simply appointing to what was to come in Jesus Christ. 
And so he's saying, before we had all of these ways that God spoke, but now God is speaking how? By his son. And so the entire premise here, remember, is that we no longer need God to speak through the prophets because we have Jesus. In fact, when Jesus came and he spoke, he instead of the prophets used to say, uh, the Lord said, Jesus, when he taught, he didn't say God said, he says, uh, it has been said in the Beatitudes, but I I'm telling you, like he, it was always coming from him. The authority was from him. He spoke by the word of his power. He speaks and his word is more than enough. Why? Because he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. He is God. God made man. But he, and, and so this is, this is critical because it differentiates Jesus from the Old Testament prophets. Now, we're going to build on this. Don't worry. As we get into the book of Hebrews, we're going to get into the, um, the ways that we see Jesus better than the prophets. So God speaks in many times and in many ways. But now, you know, people say now, well, why doesn't God speak through? We don't need to have God speak through prophets anymore. Does God speak through visions? God might use visions, but the primary way that God speaks is through his son and the New Testament. The gospels are the culmination. The coming of Jesus is the culmination of who God is in the flesh. And of course, John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was uh, with God and the word was, was God. And that reference to the word, by the way, uh, that reference is the word in, in John chapter one, verse one, sort of bringing this attention to Jesus being the word. That word is, is logos. And in the Old Testament, by the way, for the Jewish audience, they understood what that word logos means. You and I might not understand it. We're in a different culture, unless you've been in Sunday school and in church, you might've come across that word. But, but back in that day, they understood what logos was. See, in the Old Testament, that the word of God, um, was uh, was personified as an instrument for uh, the execution of God's will. And so basically how God connected to man, it was that word logos. It was like God spoke and that word that would connect God, the invisible to humans and, and the material things that happened was through that word logos. And in John chapter one, verse one, we're told that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And Jesus then is the very manifestation of this bringing of what is divine and unseen to that which is material and seen. So again, the Old Testament pointing to Jesus, Jesus far better because he is the imprint of of. of of the exact nature of God, the radiance of the glory of God, and, and he's sort of this connecting point between God and those things that are material. He's the word, he's the logos, and, and the people who were in that culture in that time understood exactly what was being said about Jesus here. And so uh, you can uh, be confident uh, because God speaks. And by the way, let me stop for a second. C can you get your mind around that for a second? God speaks. I read this illustration in one of the commentaries, maybe the MacArthur study, I don't remember where, but but about how he sort of gives this image of like humans, we're all sort of living in a box. Imagine all humans, we're all living in a box and we're all, all the different religions in this box are trying to reach God and everyone has their different idea of how to reach God and people are like, oh, you've got to jump up the box this way or you've got to ride up this or you've got to, you know, you come up with all these theories of how to reach God, but, but what Jesus does, what God does through Jesus, is at the end of the day, no one can leave the box. No one is strong enough to leave the box to get to God. Uh, but God, through Christ, comes into the box to reveal himself to us. God has always spoken through the prophets in the Old Testament, but the message always the same. There is a coming Messiah. And in the New Testament, Jesus, the Logos, born uh, to show us who God is, God in the flesh. He speaks at many times, in many ways. He speaks with power 
over everything. That God speaks is miraculous. Don't underestimate this. Don't minimize it. Don't forget it. We don't serve just a spirit out there. We, we, you know, he's somewhere there. We feel his presence. No, we serve a personal God who wants to know us intimately, who has spoken to us. And, and the way to hear him is to open this book and to read it. And you will see Jesus. You look to Jesus. This book isn't about me. It's not about you. We are sort of part of the story, but the central theme of the story is Jesus. And so if you're long in your life to hear God speak, how many of us spend days going, man, I wish God would speak. I just need a word from God. Well, well, fix your eyes on Jesus. He speaks and his word is more than enough. Here's a second big point. He speaks with absolute power and authority. He speaks with power and authority. It says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. One word from Jesus. Remember, the storms were raging and Jesus just stilled with one word. He healed people. He brought, the, he brought Lazarus out of the dead with one word. Come out, Lazarus. He, he stopped the, the, the storm that was raging with one word. And, and, and that is the absolute power and authority. Let me keep reading a bit and you'll see that come out in the text. It says about Jesus, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I don't know how many of you took the time to watch all of the theatrics of the British Empire last couple of weeks with the death of Queen Elizabeth and now, you know, Prince Charles and Prince William and the passing of power. And, and it's crazy because we visualize it and we're in awe of it and we're riveted by it. And it's just human and, and they don't even rule us and they don't even rule their own people. Like they're just a figurehead. And yet, and yet we understand what it means to be sitting at the right hand of the lead, the king. And so we see that. We understand that Prince William, though he's not the king yet, he's the right hand of Charles, right? He's the second to come. Charles is now the king. You know, we, we sort of understand that. And 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 yet with with Christ, Christ, you know, of course, there's the, this is part of the Trinity, the mystery, three in one, but God becomes man. But then after the ascension, he goes to heaven and he's at the right hand of God, which really, to be somebody's right hand, I always joke that Irina, my assistant, is my right hand person. I mean, there's nothing that I do that she doesn't know. There's, there's nothing, if I need something, if I forget something, if I have a meeting, like, like it's, if I need something now, I'm like, Irina, can you do this? Like, and that's just human. And that's like, we're two different people. But with God the Father, God the Son, he, he, because he died for the purification of sins, he was perfect. He, he accomplished the purpose that God had for him. And now he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he speaks with absolute power and authority because he is at the right hand of God. But so he's made it, he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He sits at the right hand of God, having become as much, listen, superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now you and I, you know, we watch angels on TV and we kind of were, you know, I think most of us grew up being a little bit skeptical of angels and Christians like the, you know, the, like the little figurine to you can get at the antique stores now for a buck or 25 cents. Like angels, you know, people either believe in them a lot. There's a lot of voodoo about angels. But back in that day, the Jewish people looking at the Old Testament and looking in that era, they, they worshiped angels. In fact, a lot of Gnosticism had to do with the worship of angels. And there was this very high elevation of angels. And so remember the book of Hebrews is to show that Jesus is better than all those things that were practiced back in the, in the times before Christ, whether it was the rituals or the sacrifices. We'll get into all of those. But here in chapter one, he's going to go through and quote from the Old Testament verse after verse to show why Jesus is better than angels. And while you and I might be like, why is he talking about angels? Back in that day, it was a huge deal because they thought angels were it. And I'm not doing a study of angels today, so I'm just gonna, I, I, I read on it and I was gonna 
share some stuff. There will just won't, honestly won't be any time. Y'all can do some research on it. I can send you information about angels if you're super, I, I believe angels exist. The Bible teaches about angels, but, um, but I don't believe that they have uh, power in themselves. I don't believe that, you know, you've got some guardian angel. Like I believe God uh, uses angels and I think uh, God is the ruler over angels and, and, and I think they are there to protect us sometimes. Of course, Psalm 91 talks about putting a hedge of angels around us. And there's a lot of scripture on it. We'll spend some more time a different day on it. But let's read about how Jesus is better than angels. So verse four, he says he became superior than the angels. Now verse five, for, here's his proof. He says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So, so people may have said, well, Jesus is like the angels. And, he, and, and the writer is saying, no, Jesus is far better than the angels. Here, l- let me show you how. And he quotes from Psalm chapter two, verse seven. He says, did God ever say to any angels, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, and he quotes now from 2 Samuel 7, 14. He says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. This is an Old Testament verse talking about the coming of Jesus. It's a prophetic verse. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. This is from Psalm 104. But to the son, he says, talking about God speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, this is interesting. Uh, uh, the MacArthur Commentaries talks about how, how this verse, verse uh, eight, is probably the strongest verse to prove the deity of Christ in all of scripture. And, and it's fascinating because he might be right. And, and, and so what he's saying, God, so the writer is saying about how God says about angels, of the angels, he says he makes his angels, winds and his ministers a flame of fire, but of the son, think about the father saying of the son, verse eight, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is from Psalm 45, six. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness. Uh, beyond your companions. Think about that. God the Father speaking these about the Son. Because remember, this is God three in one. How do you understand it outside of the Spirit of God helping us understand? God became man in the person of Jesus, but, but he is God. And he is very much the radiance of the glory of God, the very imprint of his nature. You want to see God, you look at Jesus. Remember the conversation with Philip, the disciple. Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, I've been with you all this time. Haven't you learned anything? And uh, it's almost too good to be true, to believe that. He goes on in verse 10 and says, and you, Lord, lay the foundations of the earth in the beginning. We're talking about how he speaks with absolute power and authority about Jesus who laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. He was there before the creation of the world. Christ is better than the angels. There's no comparison. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. If a God created this world, if Jesus created this world before the foundations of the earth, can we not trust his word to to fulfill power in our life where we need it? His power is in his very nature. He is the exact imprint of God. His power is in his word, the word of his power. We're talked in in verse uh, three. His power is in his position, sitting at the right hand of God in verse five. His power is better than the angel, is that he is better than the angels. And his power is that he rules over all. He says, in the heavens that are working your hands, they will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and yours will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? He speaks and his word is more than enough. He speaks, listen, he speaks and his, with absolute power and authority. Number three, he speaks and he is always trustworthy. Jesus is always trustworthy. He doesn't lie. He doesn't tell us half truth. He doesn't make promises he can't keep. He is trustworthy because he is God. He is, he is trustworthy because he is the son he, he, he is trustworthy because he doesn't change. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like garment, but he's the same. The promises he made, the character we see, the, the stories we read about in scripture, nothing has changed about the character of God. The, little, the, the details might change of what's happening on the planet, but the God we serve is the same. And so when he speaks, he's trustworthy. You can rest in his promises. Many of us wish we would have a guardian angel. Yo, man, I went to this place and I don't even know who these guys were, but it felt as if the angels were, we have this voodoo sort of Hollywood, you know, there was that show, like, I forget, I never watched it, but something about the angels. And we have this, this idea that that's the best thing that could happen to us. We don't need the angels because Jesus is better than the angels and he's with us. He's trustworthy because he is just, his timing is perfect. He is the heir if he makes a promise, he's the heir, we're told. He is the son. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And if he is the heir, the heir, again, an example of this royal saga that we've been watching. But the heir, the firstborn, has a special place. And I'm not, this is just facts. And we understand that humanly. And and, and people have been arguing about Harry versus William, but the fact is William is the firstborn. He's the one who's the heir. And so the heir has power and he's trustworthy because he, when he makes a promise, he can back it up. You know, I could promise you a million bucks. You're not going to get it, right? I don't have it. Yeah, I can promise you, oh, I'm going to find you a, a spouse, but I don't know any single people who are looking for spouses. So that's a failing promise. It's not, I'm not trustworthy to make promises that I can't keep. I might want to keep them. I might love you. I might want to help you in the ways that I'm, I'm as a doctor. I might promise people you're going to be well, but how can I say that? I don't know whether they're going to grow a cancer in five years, whether they're going to get a fever or an infection. I can't make that promise. I don't have that trustworthiness because I don't have that power. But when the son of God, who is sitting at the right hand of God, who is the heir of all things, makes you a promise, well, then you better believe that his word is trustworthy. You can be confident because he speaks. His word is more than enough. He speaks with absolute power and authority. He speaks and he's always trustworthy. And now we're gonna end with this. He speaks and we must choose to listen. In a couple minutes, I'll be done. He speaks and we must choose to listen. Let's move into the first warning in the book of Hebrews. We're gonna see five scattered throughout the handful of chapters of Hebrews, I think 13 chapters. Here in chapter two, verse one, I'll just read a couple of verses here and we'll conclude. Therefore, he says, so now chapter one is, uh, he sets it up, he tells you who Jesus is, he reminds you that God speaks, he's better than the angels, and now therefore, therefore, because Jesus is better, more powerful, because of he is the exact radius of God, because of that, therefore, therefore, remember, we're writing the three groups of people, Christians, Jewish people who have given their life to Christ, who need to be reminded to be all in, a second group who's sort of half there, they intellectually have accepted, but they're not all in, and one who still hasn't accepted, and he says, therefore, because of who Jesus is, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. If there's a verse today, aside from who Jesus is in the first handful of verses, if there's a verse that you want to take as an application, 
the foundation is in chapter one and then the application is chapter two. You can circle it and put application. This is the danger you and I must be aware of. We are given a warning. If we don't pay close attention to what we have learned, we will drift away. I believe many Christians in 2022 in the church, in America in particular, but all over the world is drifting away, not because they hate God, but simply because they're not paying attention to what Jesus has said and to who he is. Be careful. There's a warning here. If you know that he's better, if you know that he speaks, if you know that he is the heir and the radiance of God and the imprint of God's nature, if you know these things, then you need to do everything in your power to pay attention lest you drift away. We have a God who is speaking to us through his word, words of life and abundance and, and help and conviction and and, and words to remind us of why we can be strong and we are too distracted and we're not even noticing like boats that have been unhinged from the dock. We're mooring, we're drifting away slowly, slowly, slowly. I believe that's what happened to evangelicals in the United States. We've been drifting slowly, slowly, slowly. And we're gonna wake up one day and say, man, I don't know. I don't know what happened. And listen, the command in Hebrews chapter two, verse one is not to labor for Jesus. He doesn't say therefore, labor for Jesus. You must pay attention. He says, he says, he doesn't say, he, he says you need to listen to Jesus. That is where it starts. Labor comes after. Working for Christ is fine, but listening to Christ is what we need. And so the question to you tonight, are you listening? And so you say, well, I don't know. What does that look like? Well, it's, you have space in your day for Jesus. Are you in the word of God? Do you have the word open? Do you read it? But, but not only do you read it, just to skim it, to get through it, but are you listening? Do you give your attention? Does it look like you're absorbing what is being said? And then how you know you're listening, are you applying it? If you don't, you're gonna drift away. Maybe you're already halfway down the dock water. We're watching you drift away. Listen, it's not too late. You start listening and it's like with a cord, Jesus will draw you back. If there's anything that we can take home today is that we have a savior who speaks that in and of itself is miraculous. He speaks with authority, he speaks and he's trustworthy. Now our response, will we listen. We must listen and not doubt. We must listen and not drift. We must listen with, with confidence that what he says is truth. The Holy Spirit will open our hearts as we listen and commit to that. So what are you doing to listen to Jesus in this season of your life? What are you doing? Are you reading the word at least? You, you might say, I'm not even reading the word. Well, you're not listening. You're not gonna hear him out in space. You're gonna hear him in his word. That's how he speaks now in verse one. In the last days, these days, he is speaking by his son, the Logos. Are you drifting? How can you tell? Where are you today compared to where you were a year ago? Are you obeying? Is there fresh change? Is there change? Are there things in your life that are not where they were before? And if you have drifted, listen, take heart. This is not a book to beat you on the head. This is a book to remind you of the beauty of Christ, of who he is, that he's so far better that there's no reason for you to look anywhere else for satisfaction and joy. And so come back if you've been drifting. And if you're already here, listen even more carefully and ask God to change you, to revive you, to draw you closer, to let your heart be lit on fire for Christ through his word. Well, I hope you enjoyed this teaching. I love the book of Hebrews. I'm not joking. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I think you're going to love this series. I more than anything hope that it will build up your faith in God 
who never disappoints. He's always faithful, always true. Hey, don't forget to check out livingwithbauer.org. Subscribe to the podcast if you're not on it already. Leave us a review if you haven't done it in a while. But more than anything, check out the new book. Don't tell anyone you're reading this. It is going to bless you and encourage you, but it's also going to help you find out a lot more about me. So uh, maybe more than you wanted to know. So go ahead and hit the drlinabook.com page. Uh, start reading it now. You can get a first couple of chapters free and come back next week for week two in our study in Hebrews, the confidence series. And now go be with God who is already with you. Love you guys. See you next week. Bye.